0: Well, during the Revolutionary War, there was a battle that was taking place between a small group of American Minutemen and a much larger British force. And being outnumbered and low on ammunition, the American commander told his men, look for the British soldiers with the gold braids on their shoulder because those are the officers and take them out first. And when all the officers had been shot and taken down, the rest of the British forces scattered and retreated. Now, in a war, a key part of the enemy's strategy is to take out the command and control structure, knowing that often that results in the troops floundering and possibly retreating. And as we've been going through this series in the book of 1 Peter, you'll remember we have seen over and over where the church was under attack. We've seen where believers were being persecuted, where the church was under attack. And when we get to next week... In 1 Peter 5 8 we're going to see that Satan is the one leading the attack, as we're told there that he is a roaring lion uh, seeking someone to devour. And one of the strategies that Satan has, he attacks all of us who are believers, but he knows that if he can attack the leaders, it will be much easier to attack the flock. And the scriptures tell us, strike the shepherd and scatter the flock. And so as we're going to see today in 1 Peter chapter 5, what God does is he gives words of encouragement to the leaders in the church through Peter. As God was directing the writing of this letter, as the Holy Spirit was writing this, he gives specific instruction today to the leaders in the church. But as we're going to see, it has application to all of us. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, where I want us to begin today by reading verses 1 through 4. Peter says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, you'll notice this part of our passage begins with the word, therefore. And what that does is it ties us back to what we saw last week where Peter was talking about suffering. In John chapter 10 and verses 12 through 14, Jesus talks about when uh, hardship comes Uh, Especially in the context of a a flock type of setting, he describes the true shepherd who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep versus something that he calls a hireling who will run in the face of times of trouble. And as we're looking at what Peter tells us here, he's talking about the true shepherds and he uses three different Greek words to describe them. The first one is the word poimeos in uh, verse 2 and this describes a pastor or a shepherd. And then we see the word episkopos, we get our word episcopal from it, and this is a word that describes a bishop or overseer. And then in verse 1, there's a the Greek word presbyteros, you've heard of Presbyterians, and this is where this word comes from, and it describes an elder. Now, it was originally used to describe a person who was older in terms of chronological age because people who are more senior in years are more mature or should be in the way that they act. And so this ultimately came to be used in a church context as a title of a mature believer who was a leader in the church. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, while we're looking Well, while what we're looking at is addressed specifically to the leaders in the church, it has application for every one of us. Because every believer is called to be a mature man or woman in Christ. Uh, We're we're called to be believers who are growing in our walk with God, and as we grow in godliness and mature in our faith. And then in terms of ministry, every person, every man and woman, boy and girl, who is a believer in Christ is part of a ministry ministry. Uh, setting. Whether or not you are in vocational ministry, whether or not you hold the office of a leader in a church, uh, you are called to be in ministry. Peter talked about that in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5 earlier in this letter where he told us every believer is a part of the priesthood of believers. And then when we got to chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter 4.10 told us, as each one has received a special gift, that spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So every person who is a believer in Christ has a part in ministry. We, we have all been gifted by God and are all called uh, to be doing things in terms of the ministry in the church as well as spreading the good news of the gospel worldwide. So as we're walking through this letter and we see what he says to church leaders, I want you to look at your own life personally and ask yourself uh, if these things are being seen in your life in terms of being a servant leader. Now, in verse 2, he begins with a broad command, which is then going to be followed by three specific commands related to it. And the first command is shepherd the flock of God. And as Peter is writing this, I'm sure that the the Holy Spirit brought to his mind for Peter that that morning he was on the seashore in John chapter 21 where he encountered the resurrected Lord. You'll remember that Peter, before Christ was crucified, denied knowing Jesus three times. Three different times Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know this man. I'm not a follower of his. And then after uh, the crucifixion, Jesus appeared to more than 500 witnesses. And Peter had an individual appearance, the scriptures tell us. And then there was another time where he was in the context of the disciples where Jesus did a public recommissioning of Peter because there had been this public denial. And so three different times in John chapter 21, Peter was asked, do you love me? And as uh, Jesus asked, do you love me? Peter said, yes, the first time. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. The second time Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. And the third time Peter was told, tend my sheep. And so this verb for shepherding that we find here in 1 Peter 5, 2 is tied into all of these things that Christ told Peter to do. Uh, tending, shepherding, feeding. Those in the first century lived in a time where shepherds were all around them. They could see them in the fields. They could see them in the the outskirts of the city. And they they knew what shepherds did. Uh, They fed, they guarded, they guided, they led the sheep, just as a church uh, leader is supposed to do with the congregation. As I mentioned before, you don't have to be in the role of an elder to do the things we're talking about today. Many of you here serve in places of ministry, Uh, You teach in our children's ministry. You mentor in our student ministry. Uh, You're part of AWANA, our midweek discipling ministry for kids. Some of you serve in our adult ministries, men's and women's. Uh, Others of you lead in life groups in your homes out in the community. Uh, Some of you are serving outside the doors of Wayside, leading Bible studies in a nursing home. Uh, Others of you are at work or at school involved in Bible study. Some of you are in ministries like Bible Study Fellowship where you may be a teaching leader or a small group leader. It happens in the home where you who are parents lead and teach your families. So again, as Peter is talking to those who were the designated elders in the church, these things all have application to every one of us who are Christians. And as you lead, Peter says to these leaders, they are to be diligent. And you see the strength of the command as he follows up by saying, I exhort the elders among you. Now, I want you to notice the humility that goes with this because Peter also says, I'm your fellow elder. Remember who Peter was. He was called the rock. Jesus said, Peter, you're the rock that I'm going to build the church upon. And so Peter could have easily said, well, I'm first among uh, equals. I'm the, the first And gotten puffed up or pulled rank, but instead he says, Listen, I'm the same as all of you, and I'm here to serve. And friends, that's the attitude all of us are to have. We're all to be servant leaders. And those who are pastors are not on a pedestal. Sometimes uh, people in the church will put a pastor on a pedestal, or those in ministry will feel like they should be treated a certain way. But Peter says, Hey, the way you should be treated is as Christ was treated, you need to be a servant leader. And to drive that point home, God follows up the first command with three additional commands. He tells us in verse 2 the attitude and actions leaders are to have. The first, he says, is to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't feel called or prompted by God, but what it does mean is you shouldn't feel guilted into taking a a place of leadership. Uh, when that happens, what should be a blessing will often turn into a burden. Uh, Y'all know, as a congregation, every year we ask if you have any names to recommend when it comes around to. Uh, our congregational meeting where elders will be elected by the body. And so in advance of that, many, many months in advance, we have a process where we go through the names and we vet them and we meet with not only the man but his wife and we talk to the families. We want to see, uh, is there any reason this person is not qualified to serve? And we have every single year many godly candidates whose names are submitted and when we talk to the individual, they say, I, I just don't feel called to serve as an elder in the church. And we don't go in and say, well, let's twist their arm, let's t- convince them why they should serve. We take that as God's leading, as a no, because one of the biblical qualifications of an elder is that they aspire to the office of overseer. First Timothy 3.1 says you must aspire to the office. It must be this call, this desire that God has given you to serve. Uh, for us as believers, anytime it comes to serving God, uh, we're told in Second Corinthians 9-7 that God loves a cheerful giver. The context there is dealing with our, our treasures, our money, but it's the same in every area of our life, from our time to our talents to our treasure. You shouldn't ever be a person who's bitter in what you give or the ways that you serve God. Um, Now, one of the things that always helps in those times where maybe it's feeling more of a burden than a blessing is to remember what a blessing it is to be a part of the ministry. Do you realize the eternal God is allowing you and I as part of his creation to be a part of the ministry to impact lives for all eternity? And those are things that as we remember that God is letting us be a part of his ministry that, you know, just should make us serve with with great joy and willingness Now, as we saw earlier in this letter, we're all part of the priesthood of believers, and God has given us different spiritual gifts to serve. And last Sunday, we saw a beautiful example of that. Here at the 410 campus, uh, you saw our student ministry serving. Uh, The second service here had our high school team leading in worship. Uh, The first service was our junior high kids leading in worship. They were the greeters, the ushers. And people will come up to me every SMS, Student Ministry Sunday, and say, Roger, isn't it great to see that the future of the church is in good hands, that we, we don't have to worry about the future? And I always smile a little and I say, well, they're not only the future of the church, they are the church now. Uh, and it is in good hands. God uh, is raising up the generations to to carry forward. Many of our students are already active contributing members of our body. They serve not just in SMS. In a few weeks when Vacation Bible School happens on June 14th, uh, there are 124 of our students signed up to serve at VBS, 124 to come alongside 156 adults and 25 other full-time staff of our church that are going to be involved in putting on Vacation Bible School. And this year, we're going to Uh, have back in-person VBS, we already have around 350 kids that have registered. Uh, There are another 20 families that are not yet feeling comfortable returning so far that have said we want to do staycation Bible school, and we're going to be providing opportunities for that again where you can participate online. But if you have friends or family that have been wondering is VBS going to happen and neighbors or others you work with, you can invite them to go ahead and register. We still have time and room uh, to include them in our vbs now some of you have said well wh- where can i plug in and serve i mean if there's already over three hundred people serving in vbs is there a place for you Well, some people aren't able to take you know the morning off for an entire week others are are you know saying i i just don't feel called to be in that role there's a great opportunity where you can give just one hour a day and you could give it you know one or two days you don't have to do all five We have a pre-prayer time that happens from 8 to 9 a.m. where all of the volunteers gather together for worship and prayer and just getting a devotional to equip them to be impacting the lives of these kids for eternity. And those volunteers' children are kind of in a pre-VBS setting where we just kind of have them in a room and you can oversee and, and help serve by watching them. So if you're interested in doing something like that, contact the children's office and let them know that you'd like to uh, step into that that role. I love seeing our college and singles serving here at Wayside. All throughout our church, uh, I see our young adults ministering in, in multiple ways, whether it's uh, serve our city opportunities, serving our students. You know, one of the things that is so impactful, I just mentioned a moment ago about the, the younger Uh, high school junior high part of our church being active and involved to see our our singles our college and singles who serve in our children's ministry and you would not believe uh... the impact those of you who are in that role have because these younger generational kids look at you and think you're really cool and and you're in their life and you're mentoring them and i see our young adults serving in the children's area mentoring our our high school and our college kids And so this is great. Our empty nesters are involved over there as well. Some say, you know, hey, I raised my kids. I'm done. Uh, You know, it's somebody else's responsibility now. But others are saying what a privilege we have to be part of the larger Wayside family and to be involved in impacting uh, other families. And those of you who were parents remember maybe how exhausted you were going through that season of life where you had your kids 24-7. I mean wasn't it a joy to watch our albanian missionaries with the little girl dancing around up here earlier uh... you know and some of you as parents are going "Oh, i remember those days uh... well you can still be a part of that and you can serve again so many of our uh... empty nesters are involved impacting next generations and we live in a time where families are separated geographically and you can be a surrogate grandparent to some of these young families who are separated geographically from their, their families. Um, others at Wayside help with behind-the-scenes ministry, things like our, ch- our, our tech area. You know, right now, people are running the slides and the lights and the cameras and the online mixing. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, uh, those people behind the scenes are, are making not only our ability as we gather here able to happen, but for those of you who are online. And so some of you say, my gifting is more in the technical field. Uh, we have others who serve. Uh, you may say, well, I don't want to be in a classroom with the kids, but I, I like data and check-in. Well, there's, there's a check-in ministry where families register and print off labels and things. You can be a part of that. We have others who have gifting in the areas of finance or, or legal. We have committees here of men and women who share their talents in those areas to serve the church with their expertise and, and skill set. We have those in our mercy ministry, Whether it's meeting the physical or financial needs of those in our church, which during the COVID time has increased as people have been out of work or there have been other things. You heard uh, Pastor Jason pray for two families uh, in our church, actually three this morning. And we're going to be holding two memorial services this week, Uh, Joe Cubios. The, the brother of one of our custodians, Bobby Cubios, his memorial service is here on Monday, and then on Thursday will be Joey Cavazos' service. And we have a funeral committee of people who are ushers at the services. Uh, when we're able to open back up our you know, food service fully, they, they serve you know refreshments in the reception time post-service. There are places where families are able to come alongside and give comfort and support during times of loss. Our prayer ministry uh, has gone on all through COVID, but in two weeks and two Sundays, our prayer leaders are going to be back up here at the front. So after a service, you can come up and you can pray with men and women when you have a need. I mean, there are so many ways uh, that I see the body of Christ here actively serving, contributing, and coming alongside. We have caretakers of our property you know, I want you just to think about your life and where you serve, and ask yourself: Could I take out a piece of paper and literally write down a place of service? Uh, could you put down a place where you're involved in a ministry, inside or outside of the doors of Wayside? There was a a man who was driving down a back country road one day, and his his car kind of veered off into a ditch, and. Uh, he was stuck. He tried to get it out. He couldn't get it out. And he noticed there was a farmhouse a, a little bit of a distance up the road. And so he walks up to this farmhouse hoping that maybe the farmer has a tractor that he could hook up and uh, pull his car out. And he knocks on the door and this farmer comes and uh man explains the problem he has. And he says, well, I don't, ha- I don't have a tractor. He says, I do have an old uh, blind mule named Dusty. And, you know, I'd be happy to bring Dusty down, see if we can help. So he brings his mule down the road, and he hitches Dusty up to the uh, car. And uh, the farmer, you know, has a little whip, and he cracks it in the air, and he yells out, pull, Herbert, pull. And nothing happens. He cracks the whip again, and he cries out, pull, Sammy, pull. And nothing happens. Cracks the whip a third time, and he yells, pull, Dusty, Pull. And all of a sudden this mule kind of comes to life and he pulls forward and he drags the car out of the ditch. And the man who watched all this happen uh, says, wow, thank you so much for helping me. He said, but I've got a question. He says, why would you call your mule all those names? And he said, oh, I wasn't calling Dusty all those names. You see, he's blind and if he thought he was doing the work all by himself, uh, he wouldn't even try, (laughs) Right? You know, a few weeks ago, uh, Jason mentioned how in a typical church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'm thankful to say that Wayside is not a typical church. That We have so many people, more than 20%, doing the ministry here. But there are some of the dusties of Wayside who are involved in the work that sure could use some more Sammies and Herberts kind of help and pull the load a little, we would be able to do even more. So if you're a person who's just kind of been sitting back uh, looking for your place to plug in, we'd we'd love to have you uh, be involved and come alongside those who are serving. Now the next command found in 1 Peter 5.2 says we are to exercise oversight, but not for sordid gain, yet with eagerness. If you're using some translations, it says here they're not to be greedy for money. Now, there's a bunch of jokes in ministry when it comes to to money uh, and and preachers. When I was in seminary, uh, the professors would say, uh, now it's the job of God to keep you humble, but it's the job of the church to keep you poor. And, uh, you know, as I'm saying this, I want you to hear, I'm not asking you to give me a raise. Uh, Wayside is a very generous church uh, with all of our staff. Now, they're not exorbitant. Uh, But this is a church that pays our pastors well. So as I'm telling you this part of the message, please don't think I'm, you know, trying to get some more money from you because I'm not. Uh, What's funny is some of you all know I used to drive an old pickup truck. I had a 20-year-old pickup that the transmission finally went out on. And I can't tell you how many people would say, Roger, would you get a new car? You make our church look really cheap. (laughs) And... uh, So then I found a a used Lexus for the price of a Toyota Corolla and I bought it. And then some people started telling me, well, I think we're paying you too much. So you just can't win with some. But uh, there's there's a story, a joke in ministry about a a preacher who received a call from a church that was offering to pay him twice what he was making at his current ministry. And the Board chairman was, you know, concerned. He had talked to the board. He told him what was going on, and he wanted to know what the answer was. So he went over to the house, and he knocks on the door, and he was surprised when the little girl uh, that belonged to the family answered the door. And he said, Honey, where, where's your mom and dad? And, and she said, Oh, uh, dad's in his study praying about the opportunity, and mom's upstairs packing. And so... In, in all reality, it's usually the reverse. The wife is praying and the pastor's packing. But, um, you know, if you change a church in ministry because somebody's going to pay you a lot more money, that's not a call. That's a raise. You know, you need to call it what it is. God does move men and women around in ministry. Uh, but you need to, to have this call. And it's not about the money, as Peter is telling us here. Now there are the realities of needing to pay bills. I I have a friend, a very faithful pastor who's a bivocational minister. He's been in this uh, one particular church for a number of years and he supports his family by being a painter as well as being a bivocational pastor. But as his family has grown and as the needs of the church have grown, uh, he's not able to do both. And so he's He's had to uh, look for a new place of ministry where the church will be able to support his family. Now, he's not complained about it, and he's not complained about being bi-vocational. When I talk to him, he will often say to me, Roger, can you believe that we get paid to study the Bible and tell people about it? I mean, what a privilege. And, and this is what Peter's talking about. Those who are in these roles are to do so with eagerness, to understand the privilege that we have. Now, does that mean it's wrong for a pastor to be paid? No, absolutely not. In fact, the Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians nine fourteen. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of of his wages. So what Peter is warning those about as he writes this is greed. He says, your motive in ministry is not to be money. Your motive is not to fleece the flock where you go in and say, how much can I get? What can I take? Sadly, we all see examples of that in our society where there are people who are are stealing uh, literally from, from others and it is giving God a bad name and it's hurting ministry And God says, don't do that. He's warning church leaders here about living like that. In verse 3, we find another wrong motive for ministry. As Peter says, you are not to lord it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, when it comes to ministry or serving in a leadership position like that of an elder, uh, whether you know this or not, there are people who pursue Uh, the role of a pastor, because they say, well, it's going to give me prominence. It's going to give me power. It's going to give me a platform to speak. And, uh, you know, again, what we're finding here is Peter says, this is not to be while you do it. There are those who become prideful as they get more well-known, and it just becomes something that fuels their ego, and they begin to abuse their position or those for personal gain, as I've already mentioned. One Christian leader rightly says, the trouble today is we have too many celebrities and not enough servants. Too many celebrities and not enough servants. When Peter is talking here about those who lord it over others, it means to exercise authority in such a way as to extend dominion over someone. Uh, It's those who treat people as stepping stones or see them as being there to serve you. When Peter says, those of you in ministry places are to serve others others matthew twenty in verses twenty five through twenty eight warns against this as we read but jesus called them to himself this is where he calls the disciples you remember he's he's talking about the religious leaders of his day where you'll read in other places in the bible where they wear these you know fancy robes they take the places of honor they love all that comes with the the trappings of the office and jesus calls his disciples to himself And he says, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, if Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, came to serve. We are to serve. We're not called to be sovereign rulers, but servant leaders. And in verse 3, the way that we exercise our influence is is not by positional authority saying, I'm in charge. Instead, what he says is, you are to lead by example. Uh, The Greek word that is translated as example is tupos, and it was a word used uh, to describe a dye or a mold. And what's that talking about is you've probably seen where people will pour metal into a mold and it, and it takes on the image of that mold. Or uh, you've heard of people talking about how coins were struck in the ancient world and they had this impression that they would take and hammer into the metal and it would leave the image of the coin on the metal. And this is the Greek word, tupas. tupos. It's literally uh, an image or example that is transferred on to something else. And what we're being told as believers in Christ is Jesus is our example. He's our model. He's our mold. We should look like him and we should transfer that uh, to other people. In John chapter 13, uh, we find a place where the, exa- the uh, disciples were arguing about, well, which one is the greatest among us? And the context was uh, the supper, the last supper, and you'll remember they came into the upper room and there was no servant there to wash their feet. The, the job of the lowest slave was to, to wash the dirt and the grime off the feet of people. And you would come into the meal and you, were, you would leave your sandals at the door. You were barefoot. Your feet would be by the head of the next person. You were kind of like sardines, you know, all around the table. And imagine how appetizing that meal was with everybody sitting there with with dirty feet who had walked in the roads where there's open sewers and animal droppings and all this. And Christ is sitting down at the meal, and none of these guys are willing to wash each other's feet. And so we're told that Jesus got up, he removed his robes, he stripped down to a towel, he filled a basin with water, and he got down and he washed the feet of the disciples. And when he finished washing all of their feet... In John thirteen, thirteen through 15, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us are called to take up the towel, to wash the feet of others, Not just leaders, but every one of us in our day-to-day life. Earlier in Peter, in our series, when we talked about husbands and wives, men, you'll remember we saw we are to be servant leaders. We're told husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. In Ephesians 5.25, we are called to be those who serve others. And when people look at us, they say, why are you different? Why are you doing that for somebody? If you're in a place of leadership, if you're an owner or a manager, a man or a woman who has a company or a place of responsibility, if you serve those under you rather than following the world's example where you say, you're there to serve me, you're just stepping stones, you're here for my, my you know, aggrandizement or my profit or things, the world notices and people say, why are you different? And you can say, because I'm modeling the master. I'm following Christ's example. And the way we live our lives has an impact on others and ourselves, not just in the present time, but also for all eternity, because verse 4 tells us, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, back in 1 Peter four seventeen, we talked about heavenly rewards. You remember we looked at something called the bematos. Uh, the Greek word is bema, the bema seat, uh, that you see there in uh, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, describe the metal stand where we as believers are going to have our life works put into the fire, the wood, hay, stubble, the worthless things of the world burn up, but the precious things that remain are then going to be taken out and we're given a reward in for all eternity. Now, the original Greek games, the Olympics of our day, were the Isthmian games that then became the Olympics and it was a Greek-speaking thing, and the, the medal stand is called the bematos. This is where we, we get this image from in our modern Olympics. Now, in the original Olympics, if you saw back in 2004 when the Olympics were back in Greece, you'll remember that each of the winning athletes didn't just receive a medal, but they were given these, these cut wreaths that they put on their head. And back in the original Olympics, that was the reward you received. If you won the race, if you performed at the highest levels, you were given these floral wreaths. And Peter tells us here, the things of the world will fade away. These, these cut wreaths withered and they get thrown away. They're worthless after time. And Peter is giving again a modern picture that those in the first century understood as they said, well, the things of the world are passing. But the things of God are eternal. They will last for all eternity. And so this, this is the picture that is being uh, painted for us here in First Peter. Now, uh, on this slide, you see some of the rewards that the scriptures call the crown rewards. When we get to heaven, we're not given a medal. But this, this idea of the things that remain are taken out. And they will be presented in terms of what are called crown rewards. And you see in 1 Corinthians 9.25, there's something called the imperishable crown, which is given to those who have led a disciplined life. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 tells us about the crown of rejoicing, which are rewards for evangelism and discipleship. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people talk about the jewels we receive in our crown for those we help lead to the Lord. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.8 talks about the crown of righteousness for loving the Lord's appearing. James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10 speak of a crown of life for enduring trials. And as we've gone through 1 Peter, we've seen where the first century church was going through intense persecution. And God said, there is not only a refining going on in your life, but there are rewards that you are earning for all eternity. And then what we're seeing here today in 1 Peter 5.4, something called the crown of glory for those who shepherd God's flock faithfully. Now, when we get to heaven and we're given these rewards, we're not going to walk around and say, Who's got a bigger stack? You know, look at my bling, I was better than you. Uh, what we're going to do with these rewards, brothers and sisters in Christ, is we are going to lay them at the feet of Christ in worship. Uh, we find that pictured in Revelation 4 10 through 11 where it says the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. Think about your life and how you're living. What will God give to you and what will you return to him in worship when you see the one who died for you? Now in terms of those who have been given a place of responsibility to lead others. God tells us lead as a servant leader, to be those who serve others rather than living according to the world's model that says you're to be served by those under you. If you're somebody in a place of leadership and you haven't been living that way, may I encourage you to go home, men and women, and get down on your knees and say, God, I haven't been living as I should. I've been trying to live the world's way. And I I, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to change the way I serve and ask him to help you. Others of you may say, well, I'm not in a place of leadership, uh, but God will hold you and I responsible as well for the way that we uh, respond to those who are in leadership over us. We're all going to give an account. Hebrews thirteen seventeen tells us this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So again, it speaks of that judgment for how you respond to those who are in leadership over you. Remember earlier in 1 Peter, we saw that we're called to submit to the government over us. We're called to submit to our employers, those who are masters over servants, and here he's talking about the church and those who are in leadership. So I want you to look at your life again today and ask yourself, uh, are you a source of joy or are you a source of grief for those who lead you, as Hebrews thirteen seventeen says? And as you think about that, as you think of that question, I want you to uh, answer it when it comes to the church. I want you for a moment to put yourself in my position. Imagine you were the senior pastor of Wayside Chapel. And I want you to ask yourself, if you were the senior pastor of Wayside Chapel and you had a congregation, you had a church that was made up of men and women just like you, what would it be like to lead this ministry? If you're worshiping online, if you're visiting with us today and you attend another church, then make that in the context of your ministry setting, wherever it is that you typically worship. And ask yourself, uh, if you had a church full of people just like you, would it be a joy? Would it be uh, easy to accomplish the missions that God has given to you? Now, when I say just like you, there's supposed to be a diversity of gifting and, and things in the body. So um, you understand I'm talking about a, a difference. But what I want you to do is ask yourself, if you were to have a church full of people who share their time, talents, and treasures just like you, what would it be like? Now, excluding those who have to worship at home because of COVID concerns, uh, ask yourself if the seats would be full on a Sunday. If people came to church as often as you typically come to worship, are you faithful in your attendance, in your uh, fellowship, in your gathering together? If you had a church just like you, would the seats be empty or full most Sundays? Maybe you're saying, well, the seats would be full, but then ask yourself, would the ministries be able to function uh, would the children's ministry, would the students' ministry, would the, the greeters and ushers, would the tech team, would all the things I've talked about today, uh, would the church be functioning well or would there be a bunch of holes? When it comes to the offering, uh, would the church be able to uh, support the missionaries of that church, the ministries of that church? Now, again, if I want to just make a disclaimer here. I'm not trying to get you to pry your wallets or purses open. Uh, You've been faithful in your giving. Wayside is at 96% of budgeted giving right now. We're not in a crisis. I'm not trying to get your money. I just want you to ask yourself, if you support the ministries that God uh, has laid on your heart with the, the resources he's entrusted to you, if everybody supported just like you do, would the church be able to fulfill its mission and vision? Now, if any any of these areas make you think, oh, we'd really struggle there, then again, I encourage you to go home today. Get down on your knees and say, God, would you help me to, to search my heart and mind? Would you help me to become a cheerful giver of my time, my talents, my treasures? Would you help me, God, to be one who employs the gifts you've given to me, my spiritual gift? Would you remind me that I'm part of the ministry as a part of the priesthood of believers? Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. I want you just to consider what we've looked at today in First Peter chapter 5. And uh, as you go home today, go back through these things and ask God to help you in these areas that we've talked about. Let's go to the Lord now and pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it points us to you, Jesus the living word, the one who took on flesh and blood so that you could go to the cross and take on the penalty of death that we owed for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you willingly served as you walked this earth, as you led others, and then ultimately becoming the the lamb of God as you laid down your life to save us from our sins. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who's not yet received that gift of eternal life, that today would be the day where they receive that gift of grace. And then, Father, for the rest of us who have come to faith, those who have already given our life to you, uh, would we be faithful? Would we be men and women, boys and girls, whether we are shepherds or sheep, in terms of what we've looked at today, would we follow the example of the great shepherd, your son, Jesus Christ? God, we thank you that you are a God of the second chances, that you do reset and recommission us as you did with Peter. Lord, none of us have made too big of a mess of our life that we can't be used by you. Jesus, we thank you for the example you gave of your life. We thank you for the gift of new life that was purchased with your blood. May we be faithful to be your witnesses here at Wayside and the world around us as we follow you, Jesus, our example. It's in your precious name that we pray and thank you. Amen. Thank you again for worshiping with us at Wayside. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.